Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, we are getting ready for Christmas and um, we're talking about some things that help you to get ready for Christmas, but also to understand that because of Christmas and Christ came and and he's the only baby that was ever born for the purpose of dying. And he came to die for our sins and provide the means and the ability to deal with the stuff we've been talking about. And um, we started this off last week by talking about the deep hurts in our lives. And so we're going to take it a step further today and how to deal with damaged emotions. Because the deep hurts do cause damaged emotions. And... Um, <clears throat> In Psalms 23, we're going to look at just four words, and that's going to be the foundation of what we're talking about today. The Bible says in 20, Psalm 23, the, in verse 3, the f- first four words, he renews my strength. Maybe you learned it uh, when it was uh, in some translations, he restores my soul. Now, this is good news. We, we all need to have our souls restored periodically because life is tough sometimes. And sometimes it feels like it's tough all the time. We get beat up by discouragement. We get beat up by depression. We get beat up by despair. And um, we have fatigue. Seems like we deal with one failure after another. We have our frustrations. We have our fears. Just keep on with the list. And, and we all have those heat, hidden hurts from the past. And we unpackaged that last week. But we carry wounds and we carry battle scars and we carry emotional baggage. God wants to, um, he wants to take away your emotional baggage. He, he wants to take out the trash. And that's what, that's what we are dealing with today because God, some of you today, you need your soul restored. You need your strength renewed. Some of you right now, you feel like I am damaged beyond hope. Well, let me help you with that one. That's a lie that Satan would love for you to believe. He absolutely would love for you to believe that. <clears throat> uh, and, and so here's the road that we want to get on to deal with, dealing with our emotional healing. Number one, God will remove your guilt if you let him. Now, that's, that's the statement we're going to make after every one of our statements. You have to let him because God's not going to violate your personal will, your free will, but he wants to, and he is capable of, and he's made the way through Jesus to remove your guilt, but you have to let him. I really believe that nothing can destroy a soul faster than, than guilt. Psalms 38.4, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy, too heavy to carry. To bear. Uh, some of you feel this way. I am bent over and racked with pain. 
All day long, I walk around filled with grief. Now, David was describing himself, but I can relate to David. I'm sure you can too. Now, now here's, here's some of the problems with guilt. There are plenty of reasons to feel guilty because we are imperfect and we make mistakes. And we cannot get away from it. It's actually constantly in our mind. And, and, and sometimes we buy into this idea, well, if I just move to a new location, if I change jobs, if I go to a new city, if I go to a different church, well, guess what? That guilt, that guilty conscience goes right along with you. No matter where you go, it's still there. Proverbs 20 put it this way, the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit. There's nothing that can hide from God's penetrating light. The Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. So how do I get rid of my guilt? How do I deal with the guilt in my life? Well, um, I, here's a couple of ways not to do it. You don't deny it. You know, you can't pretend that it doesn't exist because it does. Um, you cannot bury it because one thing about guilt, every time you bury it, it has a way of resurrecting, right? Have you had that to happen? Don't minimize it. Don't say it's no big deal because you're just burying it only to let it bury you with it. Don't compromise with it by lowering your standards. You know, you, there's a fortune cookie that says, commit a sin twice and it won't seem like a sin anymore. <laughs> Some of you, you compromise with it because you just keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and you get to that point. Well, here's what happens. When a sin stays in your life and you know it's a sin, eventually it sears your conscience. Like a piece of meat, when you sear a piece of meat, you want to, you want to sear the outs, outside of that meat to hold all the juices in. And, and if, you, if you just keep doing the same thing over again and you try to compromise with it, you try to deny it, you try to pretend like it's not sin, you're actually searing your conscience and it's like you're sealing the guilt inside of you as if there's no way for it to come out. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Some of you right now, you have seared your conscience. But God can deal with that. There is no situation in your life, no place that you're at right now, that God is unwilling or unable to deal with it. That's the good news, right? And if God's not the kind of God that can deal with your situation regardless of what it is, then he's not God. Now, some of you have rationalized your guilt. You, you're, you're, you've said things to yourself like, well, everybody's doing it. Well, first of all, they're not. But even if they were, it doesn't change what God has to say about it. And, and let me tell you, here, here's what rationalize means when you do this about sin. You, you rational lies. You take the lies of Satan and you rationalize it in your life. 
You're, you may say that to your brain, but your heart knows the difference. Most of us, we wind up just beating ourselves up. We administer self-punishment. We physically get sick. We sabotage our potential for success because we don't think we deserve it. We sabotage relationships because we don't think we deserve them. I, I mean, there, there's some of you, you've been in some great relationships and you unintentionally or subconsciously, you sabotage that relationship because you just felt like you didn't deserve it. I know I'm describing some of you. There's only one solution to deal with your guilt and that is to let God take it by giving it to him. He is the only one who can remove your guilt. Romans 3. Don't miss this one. For everyone has sinned. Everybody in this room. We all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Everyone in this room. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, we don't deserve it, declares us that we are righteous. Are you kidding me? He's given me what I don't deserve. He's declared that I'm righteous because I've accepted Christ. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. That's what Jesus did for you. He declared you righteous. I want to tell you, knowing that God himself declared me righteous, that, that sets me free. Now, who wants to whisper into your ear and constantly tell you that you're not righteous? Well, Satan does. He will constantly whip, whisper in your ear and he'll say, hey, you remember what you did a couple weeks ago? And he just beats you up with guilt. He, he's the great accuser. He's great at that. He loves doing it. And, and you may be running along in the race and doing well in your walk with Jesus. And Satan's right there running next to you just whispering those lies. The basic truth of Christianity is that Jesus Christ has already paid the price for your sins. Praise God. Everything you've ever done wrong has already been paid for. Every sin you've ever committed, the stuff, even the stuff you're going to do later, all the sins, all the mistakes, all the regrets, even in the future, have already been paid for. That's amazing news. So you need to ask God to forgive you, and you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for what he did on the cross. Because I want to tell you, as much as I love you, I don't have the ability to remove your guilt. No counselor can remove your guilt. But Jesus can, and he wants to. And he will. What matters is not what you've done, but what Jesus has already done for you. You cannot beg, you cannot bribe, you cannot bargain with God. You can only accept and trust what he has done for you. 
And, and you know, when I ask God to forgive me of the same sin over and over again that, you know, I, I committed and he, I keep going back to him, uh, part of that is saying, God, I'm not sure I can trust that you forgave me, so I'm going to ask you again. So that's really a faith issue on my part. That's not a God issue. That's a faith issue. That's a trust issue on my part. So I, I don't have to understand how God forgives. I just know that he will. And it's immediate. The moment I ask God to forgive me, it's done. The moment you ask Christ in your life, it's done. And now as a believer, when I have a mess up, I just go back to him and said, hey, because Jesus died on the cross for me, please forgive me of what I've just did. And he said, it's done. And here's the amazing thing about God. He chooses to forget your sin. Not ignore it, not hide it away, but rather it's covered in the blood of Christ. And so when he sees the blood of his son, he then goes digging around to see what's in there. He's taken your sin and he's covered it with Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he's well pleased and he has forgotten and forgiven your sin. The only person that hadn't forgotten it is Satan. And he reminds you about it all the time. So next time Satan whispers in your ear, you remember when you did this? Just say, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. Your forgiveness is not based on how bad you've been. It's based on how God, how good God is. That's what your forgiveness is based on. If you feel guilty about a sin that's already been confessed and you still feel guilty, that's not from God. That's not from God. Colossians chapter 2, <clears throat> you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was, was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins, past, present, and future. He canceled the record of charges against you and took it away by nailing it on the cross. Whenever you do not allow forgiveness in your life, you are saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. And that's a lie from Satan. And he loves for you to believe that. When God forgives, he forgives completely. You know what? Some of you right now, you're worrying about some bills you haven't paid yet, right? I mean, especially Christmas, you're going to buy some things maybe you really can't afford and you're worried about that bill. My guess is, though, you never, ever think about bills you've already paid, right? You've had a bill, but you paid it. You don't worry about it anymore, right? Well, you've got a sin bill, and when Jesus died on the cross and you accepted that, that sin bill has been paid for. So you don't have to worry about it anymore. When you leave this world, you get to go and be with Jesus because your sin bill has been paid for. The moment you pay a bill, you stop sweating over it. So why worry about your sins? Let God take away your, your guilt. 
and he will. Number two, God will relieve your grief if you let him. Not all the things in life that damaged us are things we've done to ourselves. Sometimes there's grief because things that have been done to you. I mean, you experience loneliness because you've experienced hurt. But remember, this this isn't earth. I mean, heaven, this is earth. It's a messed up place. You know, there was uh, two newly elected uh, congressmen in the House of Representatives of the United States, and they both came out this past week and said, one of our goals is we want to create a uh, prison-free and a police-free uh, country. Well, my response to that was, yeah, I want that do, too, but that's called heaven. But we live on earth, and it's a messed up place. So we, we need police, and we need prisons. But the day's coming when we won't need those things. So when I saw that, I wanted to write them a letter, and I still might. It says, hey, yeah, what you're talking about is called the second coming of Jesus. So whether you're a believer or not, that's what you're asking for. You're asking for Jesus to come back. So I support you. (laughs) If you identify with these emotions of grief, I want you to hear today that God knows what you're going through. And he wants to set you free from that. But you have to let him. I've had some individuals come and talk to me about close friends, family members, who've just isolated themselves from life because of all their grief. God wants to set you free. Sometimes you grieve because of a loss, and grieving is okay, As long as you don't get stuck there. Sometimes you grieve because you're innocent and someone has victimized you. Sometimes you grieve because you did a dumb thing. Psalms 31, David said, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. Now, in 2 Samuel, David gives us gives us some tips on how to deal with grief. David, as you remember, committed adultery with Bathsheba and even had her husband killed. So he's an adulterer and he's a murderer. Pretty bad stuff. And he carried that guilt. He was confronted of his sin. God confronted him through a prophet. And then David confessed to God, Psalms 51. If if you're really struggling with a sin or something, go to Psalms 51 and you can see what confession looks like. If you're carrying guilt, go there to find restoration. So Bathsheba had a, a baby from the affair, and that child was very sick. And David grieved over that. He got on his knees, he prayed, and he fasted. And he asked God, this baby has not done anything. It's my fault. Please save this child, for he has done nothing wrong. But the child died anyway. So what did David do with his grief? Well, he he did three things. He prayed three ways. Lord, I accept what I cannot change. That's what you need to do. Lord, I accept what I cannot change. 
2 Samuel 12, David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I'll go and be with him uh, one day, but he cannot return to me. So you've been hurt by your parents, by friends and partners and peers. All the grieving in the world is not going to change that past. But the first step in dealing with your damaged emotions for healing and restoring is acceptance. Accept what you cannot change. I cannot change my background. I cannot change the hurts I've experienced. Lord, I accept what I cannot change. Then the second thing David did, he said, Lord, I give to you and I refuse it. To take it back. I give my grieving to you and I refuse to take it back. Then David got up from the ground. And he washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and he worshiped the Lord. And after that, he returned to the palace and he was served food and he ate. So instead, when, when you hang on to something, you exaggerate it. And David said, I'm not going to exaggerate this. I'm going to dedicate it. I'm going to give it to God. Pain is inevitable, but misery is an option. (coughs) Did you hear the difference? (coughs) Pain, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. But your misery is an option. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. But we take our mourning And we hold on to it. And it turns into moaning. Psalm 37 says, commit your way into the Lord. So instead of saying, this is devastating me, say to God, help me make it through this situation. God, I give it to you and I refuse to take it back. The third thing David prayed, Lord, focus my eyes on what I still have. Not what I've lost. That's a good prayer. Focus my eyes on what I still have, not what I've lost. In 2 Samuel 12, it says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, who is now his wife. He slept with her. She became pregnant again and gave birth to a son. And they named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child. Solomon went on to become the wisest person who ever lived, the wealthiest person to ever live. On on Friday, I drove up to High Point to be with my mom. She's 92, going to be 93 in February. And it was time to move her into assisted living. And she just would have nothing of of it. And my sister, who lives in Nashville, was praying and and she said, you know, Bobby and I have been talking about it. We, we really believe we're to bring mom to live with us. And so the, my brother, my sister, and I, we met with my mom uh, a month ago. And we said, um, we know you don't want to go across the street to assisted living. She said, absolutely not. And, she, and so Donna said, well, we want to bring you home and live with us. And mom loved it. She was so excited about it. So Friday is when we went to 
clean out her apartment because she was going to lose 99% of her stuff because it couldn't take it. She could only take what would fit in the car. And really all she needed was just her clothes because the furnished, the furnishing was a furnished uh, house and, and she just couldn't take all of her stuff. And, um, so I told Donna, I said, on the drive from High Point to Nashville, get her to focus on what she does have instead of what she lost, what she left. Get her to focus on the things that are really, the stuff that was really important to her, she took that. <clears throat> and, um, and get her to focus on, you know, family, the things that she still has and that she loves. And so that's how we're ministering to her right now. We, we had a very special time together. On Friday, <clears throat> we went uh, to the cemetery because we knew it would be the last time she could go. And we went to my dad's gravesite. Um, we had a little ceremony. My dad died in 66. He was at the end of World War II in Japan. Uh, but there was no marker on his grave about his military service. And so I contacted the Army, and it was like a six-month process. I had to file all this paperwork, but they sent me this beautiful plaque that is attached to the grave site and, and uh, to, the, you know, to the monument there. And so we just had a family time, uh, my siblings and my uncle, who was my dad's youngest brother. He was 18 when my dad died. And um, so we took mom there and we placed the plaque there. And then at my dad's feet, that's where um, my stepfather, my mom remarried when I was in high school, and that's where my stepfather is buried. He died of cancer as well, but they were married a long time and had a great marriage. And, um, and actually, when my mom's buried, she's going to be married at my dad's feet next to Bob, her second husband. Well, my mom married a third time, and I told her, I said, Mom, this is it. And uh, so um, we, she got married over here in the chapel. And so uh, Clarence passed away a little while ago, and, and um, so he was cremated by his family. So Mom had the ashes, and we took the ashes, and we spread them out over the grave. So, you know, just emotionally, it's kind of like, I'll be buried with all three of my husbands. And, uh, you know, I was just joking with her. I said, hey, so you want me to have you cut in half, and we'll put half of you up here next to Dad? And, you know, she started laughing, just trying to make her laugh. But then, then she said, Don, will you just pray? Well, that was very emotional, as you can imagine. And so we, we had a prayer time. <clears throat> and, but then it, she did this, you know, everything I just got through talking about. She said, okay, I'm okay now. I can move. And that, that was the last thing we did. We were going to do it at Thanksgiving, and I got sick, so I couldn't be there. But I'm so glad we were able to do it on our last day. She's lived in High Points for 92 years. And so after we did that ceremony, it was kind of like she said, okay, I'm good now. I can leave now. So she focused now on what, she, what remains instead of what is lost. I've lost three husbands, but I'm okay now. 
as she was driving to Nashville, I called her several times, and, and I told her, I said, hey, Mom, I just got word that all the widows in High Point are really glad you left because <laughs> now they got a shot at a, at a good husband because you always managed to get the good ones. <laughs> she laughed at that, too. Number three, God will replace your grudges if you let him. God will not just take your grudges away. He'll replace them if you let him. Grudges come from what other people do to me. I feel guilty about what I've done to others, but grudges is what I feel for what people have done to me. So how do I handle the resentments of life? It's determined, and how I handle it determines whether I become a bitter person or a better person. And the only difference between those two words is the letter I. So it's all up to me. I can focus on me, and I will become bitter. You know, it's amazing when I remind myself that Jesus forgave me of my sins. And he also forgave the sins of the person I might be being bitter, bitter towards. So I have a choice. I can choose whether my circumstances devastate me or direct me to a new path. So what are you doing with your grudges and your resentment? Because this, is, this world is a sinful world, life is unfair, and God never said life was going to be fair. And innocent people are going to suffer. And sometimes the guilty and the evil even prosper, but not forever. Justice is not always served in this world, but it is served. And when God serves it, there's no escaping it. In the meantime, God says, do not avenge yourself. So what do you do instead? Ephesians 4 tells us, <clears throat> it says, get rid of all your bitterness, all your rage, anger, harsh words. Get rid of it. Slander, as well as all the types of evil behavior. Get rid of it. Instead, in place of it, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted forgiving one another, even if it's not asked for, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Man, what if God's forgiveness for you was always based on your willingness to forgive others? We'd be in a heap of trouble. So whenever I struggle with forgiving somebody, I just remind myself all that God has forgiven me of. And then I'm quick to give forgiveness. Listen to Job 11. If only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer. Get rid of your sins, and only Jesus can do that. And leave all iniquity behind you. Then your face will brighten with innocence. Because you're forgiven. You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will be like water flowing away. 
Well, one of the great things Martin Luther King said, he said, bitterness is blindness. When you become bitter, you become blind about the good things around you, about what God is up to. So if you allow you and your hurt to make you bitter, it actually blinds you. Jesus wants to heal you from your damaged emotions. He wants to restore your soul. I want to, I want to tell you a great story. Last Sunday, um, one of our young people came up to me after church in the foyer, and, and he just said, hey, Pastor Don, can we eat lunch this week? I said, sure. I said, what do you want to do? So, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll meet for lunch. So I, I called his parents to make sure it was okay. I do that whenever somebody's under, under the age of 18. So I, and they were totally fine. So we decided to meet at Chick-fil-A at 4 o'clock on Tuesday. And so, hey, Ryan, you're, where are you, Ryan? Hey, come on up here and join me. So Ryan um, met me at Chick-fil-A. And um, I told him I was going to bring him up here and help tell his story. So we met at Chick-fil-A. And I said, hey, you called this meeting, so what do you want to talk about? And we talked about evolution. We talked about how to witness to uh, friends who are of another faith that's not a Christian faith. And, and then I asked you, I said, well, tell me about your spiritual journey. And you started telling me some things. But then I asked you, when did you pray to receive Christ in your life? And you said, well, I, don't, I haven't done that yet. So I shared the gospel with Ryan. And... Um, so after I shared the gospel with you, um, what, did, what did you tell me? What, what were you saying then? I'm going to be honest. I kind of forgot. You forgot? <laughs> <laughs> all right. He's in, he's in front of all you guys. Uh, that's a wee bit embarrassing, yeah. Yeah, that's all right. No, you, you know, I, I asked you, I said, so after I shared the gospel with you, I said, is this a decision you want to make? And you said, yes, I want to make that decision. So the cool thing was, this was at 4 o'clock. Well, earlier, I got a phone call, and uh, former Vice President Mike Pence was in town, and he wanted to meet with a few pastors, and I was asked to go meet with him. There's a picture up here somewhere. So there was a few of us that met with him, and that was at, supposed to be at 545 on Tuesday, but I got a text right before I was meeting with Ryan, and I, and I said, I said um, they moved it to 515. I said, okay, I got to be quick with Ryan. But when I found out he hadn't asked Christ in his life. We started talking about that. We shared the gospel. And I started telling you, I said, all right, I want you to go home and read you. I want you to read these verses. And then at home in your room, just pray to receive Christ. But I looked at your face and I said, so wait a minute, you, you want to pray to receive Christ right now in this Chick-fil-A there's all these people around here? And you said, yes, absolutely. And so right there in Chick-fil-A, he prayed to receive Christ. I mean, look at that. They're all excited for you, buddy. And, and I'm sitting there going, you know, they, they moved that time up with uh, the vice president, and i got to get on the other side of town. But when I realized, no, wait a minute, Ryan is about to ask Jesus in life, forget the vice president. And um, so after you prayed and we talked, um, I left, and I knew I was going to be late, and I got there 15 minutes late, 
but the vice president was 20 minutes late. And uh, <laughs> so we were up there, and, and we, we had a lot of talks about a lot of things. But at the end, it was just the vice president and myself. And I said, hey, Mr. Vice President, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pray for my friend Ryan. He's um, 17 years old. I later found out you're 16, so you made me lie to the vice president. Um, that's on you. No. Uh, he's 17 years old. That's what I said. I said, he just prayed to receive Christ at Chick-fil-A. Well, the vice president became very emotional. I mean, it just hit him. And he said, that's the age I was when I prayed to receive Christ. He said, I'll pray for Ryan. And then as we were leaving, he said, he said, well, no, wait a minute, Don. I want to write Ryan a note. So he wrote you a note. So that's for you from the vice president. Thank you. Hey, there you go. <clears throat> and so Ryan is going to be baptized now. And this is such a privilege to do this. Man, I'm so excited. This is a privilege for me. And, you know, even though the vice president of the United States got emotional about your salvation, that's nothing compared to what happened in heaven. Man, angels, I want to tell you, here's what happened in heaven. When we were talking, I shared the gospel, there were angels and, and people, believers who had gone, who's already dead or in heaven, they were looking down into Chick-fil-A and they were watching you because they knew that if you pray to receive Christ, they, they were going to get to have, they were going to get to have a big party. And God himself, became emotional because you accepted what his son did for you. And then you have a handwritten note from the vice president. That's nothing compared to what was written in heaven. Your name was written in the book of life. Permanent ink. Nothing will ever erase it. Isn't that cool? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go get baptized. All right. Yeah, that's all right. You're good. Here you go. You want to take your shoes off? Hey, go ahead and be seated. There we go. Orion, you've come today because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? Yes, sir. And uh, because you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege, it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. God, come on. Here, bring that up. Your dad's going to bring your towel. Doesn't get any better than that. <clears throat> so uh, while the band is singing, I'm going to be right here at the front. And if you want to settle the issue of Jesus, just come and let me pray with you. Let's stand together.